And so this morning, we are in John chapter 6, if you would, uh, turn in your Bible with me to John chapter 6, and we're going to look at one of the great names of Jesus, which is not just a name, it's a description of his work, and it is one of the great themes of the Bible. There are some tremendous themes of the Bible, like God as a shepherd, we see it beginning in the Old Testament and works its way out all the way through the New Testament. And another is Jesus as the bread of life, or this idea of daily bread, which is all the way from the Old Testament, constantly through the New Testament, and is radically important to us. And so we're going to look at this this morning as Jesus as the bread of life. The Lord has many ways, many themes that he uses to teach humanity about his person and work. And one of those great themes is manna, or daily bread. So in John chapter 6, uh, please stand with me to honor the Lord. And we're going to read John 6, verses 22 through 37. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten and the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 30. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So the context of our passage this morning is just after the feeding of the 5,000 and bread and fish being multiplied out to feed everybody that is there. And now they're, they're amazed this person can provide food for everybody. And this was not a simple thing back then. Life was just a struggle to eat and to survive. And so they come to Jesus and he says, you're not coming to me for any spiritual reason. You're coming to me because you think I can keep feeding you. But what I have come is not to feed you with physical bread, but is to sustain your soul, to feed you with spiritual bread, as it were. And the people say, well, what sign are you going to give us? And they're very aware of what happened in the Old Testament. And they say to him at this particular occasion, our fathers in the Old Testament, 
they were provided by God for a period of time by manna, daily bread, and it showed that God was at work in their midst. And so they say, what kind of sign are you going to give us? Are you going to be able to redo this sign from the Old Testament or something like it? And Jesus gets into who he is before them. But before we get there, we need to go back and take a look at what they're talking about. And what is this great theme of manna from the Old Testament? So if you'd like to turn over, because we're going to spend a little bit of time there, Exodus 16. Exodus 16 is where we are first introduced to manna and what is the Lord is doing in this way. And this is right after the exodus from Egypt. This is not a long time after, and it's important, the context of that, because you see the grumbling hearts of the people. This is just after their miraculous uh, exodus from their slavery in Egypt. Whoa, I didn't recognize this guy. <laughs> Woody got a haircut and is shaving for Christmas. I thought it was a visitor over there. Um, uh, just after the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. And so these people um, are just forgetful of all of this. I mean, it's amazing. You look at them, but then you also look at your own life and you say, well, how could I forget God's work in my life? As you go back and look at your own life, and there's all kinds of the work of the Lord in your life, and yet you still struggle with faith in the same way that these people struggled. But all that the Lord had done to bring them out of Egypt, all he had done to answer their prayers and hear their prayers, they forget about all of it. And in Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3, we see this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow, what a radically ungrateful heart. What a, what a tremendous complaining, bitter heart against the Lord. And this is the people, quick to forget their harsh slavery, quick to forget their oppression, quick to forget the death of their children. Do we not remember how Moses came about? They were killing all the boys because they didn't want to see a rebellion of these people. Moses had to be hidden in order for his life to be saved. And God hears their prayers of deliverance and delivers them. And shortly after this deliverance, oh, if we could just go back to this great place that we were because it was so good there, they have no faith and no trust, and no love of the Lord. And yet even in their hard-hearted, complaining generation, God provides for them. Because even when we are not faithful, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And he provides for his people. And the way that he does it is with a daily, miraculous bread from heaven. And so in verse 4, we see, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And so this manna was described like frost, a heavy frost on the ground. And it tasted like a sweet wafer made with honey. But it was only enough for a day. And this is the radically important part of this that we have to grasp. We can't forget as we go forward. One day only. He says, go out and gather enough for a day. And even though there was a huge amount of people, there will be enough for every single person to have enough for today. But if you pick up more than for today, then it's going to go bad. It's going to go stale and it's going to be eaten by worms, which was, by the way, a miraculous thing. No bread goes bad that fast normally. But it did here every day except for one day. 
When you got to the day before the Sabbath day, which was commanded to be a day of rest, you go get a double portion, and it will last for two days. And so every person that went and gathered more than enough for that day because they did not believe that God was going to provide for them the next day, it went bad, and they were rebuked for it. Why do you not believe that God will provide for you the next day? He will provide for you the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day. One day at a time. And so in verse 35 of chapter 16, we see that the people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came into the habitable land. So there was a whole generation being disciplined by God. That's another sermon for another day. But for 40 years, he sustained this generation one day at a time. And you may say, wow, how, that's just crazy. How can I possibly believe that God would sustain people like this one day at a time? Well, I'll tell you how you can believe it, because God still sustains his people one day at a time. Whether you realize it or not, God still sustains you one day at a time. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But this picture of manna is a radical picture of daily dependence upon the Lord. He brings them out into a desert, a place where they cannot farm for themselves. They cannot come up with their own food. They are forced to be dependent upon the Lord one day at a time. And in that place of being forced into dependence on the Lord, he supplies them one day at a time. And you would think that they would come to understand his goodness, but they do not. But a way in which the Lord wants and intentionally extends this illustration so that it is not lost upon subsequent generations is that in verse 33 of chapter 16, he says, the Lord God says this to Moses. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna, which is a unit of measure, in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout the generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. And so he went out and he filled a jar with this manna. And it was to be placed before the Lord. And as we know from Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, when it tells us what were the things inside of the Ark of the Covenant, one of the three things inside of the Ark of the Covenant was this jar of manna. Why? Why is that? Well, the other things that were there were, was the uh, budded rod of Aaron and the Ten Commandments, the, the stone tablets written on by the hand of God. And these were three vitally important things for the nation of Israel not to forget. And so they were held in memorial inside of the Ark of the Covenant. And one of those things that the people were never to forget was that God provides for them one day at a time, that God will meet your needs and never, ever, ever ever forget it. Look back to past generations and how God has provided, and he will provide for you in the future. And yet, this manna was not enough. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, some verses that are going to be very familiar to you, because the manna was not enough for the people. Deuteronomy 8, 3, and 2 and 3 says this, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Just remember, Deuteronomy is after the period of discipline, and they are getting ready to go into the promised land. And so he is looking back on that period of time. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that this, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Do you remember that verse? That verse is the first one that Jesus quotes in his temptation in the desert. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I was just encouraged this morning by one of our brothers, do not stop preaching the word of the Lord. And that's radically important because we live by the word of the Lord. And we're going to talk more about that. It was not enough for them to have bread every day. You could have a refrigerator full of food every day for the rest of your life and still die in your sins. And your soul be radically empty and your heart be bound up by anxiety and struggle and have everything that this world offers and still be dead in your soul. And so we live not only by daily physical provision of the Lord, but we live truly by the work of the Lord to provide for our souls. And so food physically is not enough. Without the word of the Lord, the soul will die. The unquenchable emptiness of our hearts will continue. A hunger that, no, that gnaws away at us and cannot be fed by anything of this world. No matter what we may try to fill that emptiness will, with, it will not fill the void. We search for God, but he cannot be found. He must reveal himself to us. He must make himself known to us. And he is doing this in Christ Jesus. And so when we go to the New Testament, we look manna, jar of manna, and the Ark of the Covenant, reminding all generations of God's provision. But then we get to the New Testament with Jesus. Does Jesus pick up this theme? Absolutely. He radically picks this theme up and then expands it, and we must understand the way that he expands it. So Jesus does not cancel out the physical part of God meeting our needs each day. We see that first in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11, which is the, the Lord's Prayer, the pattern of prayer that the Lord would have us to be in. And in the middle of that pattern of regular prayer, it is give us this day what? Our daily bread. That is not a, a, a random thought. He is directly bringing the concept of manna and daily provision into New Testament regular daily prayer. That God would meet our physical needs today. We want God to meet our physical needs for next year. Or we want to have our retirement account set up to where nobody, we never have to ask God for anything again because everything is set. Well, that's not the way that God works, and it shouldn't surprise us that the Lord causes the issues of our life to work together to where we must be dependent on him every single day. And so there's, just like it said in the Old Testament, where he intentionally humbled the people so that they would be dependent on him. It is the same with us. God will intentionally work humility into our lives to cause us to go and seek him so that he might meet our physical needs day by day and be glorified in doing it, that we might pray to him and bring to him our physical needs, which is right, which we should. We are instructed by Jesus to ask in prayer for our daily needs. And as we live in dependence and as God meets those needs, God is glorified in the way that he works in our life. But let us not forget that man cannot live by bread alone. It is not enough that your physical needs be met every day. There is a greater, a deeper need. There is the need of the soul that must be met. And that is where we go in John chapter 6. So let's go back to John chapter 6. 
And these people that are looking for a miraculous sign, these people that have come after the feeding of the 5,000, wanting more bread and more loaves, and say, what can you do to feed us? Moses did this to feed us. What can you do to feed us? We're looking for something from you. And Jesus, as he always does, he never gives them the answer that they think that they're going to get. And so he says, I have come down out of heaven. I have come to give you eternal life, bread and water that will have no end and that will continuously feed your soul. And then he makes this outrageous statement where he says, I am the bread of life. I have come as the bread of life for you. I am the one that is going to sustain your souls. I am giving you myself as a sign. You're looking for a sign? I am the sign. I have come to be life for you. And we must understand this this morning. I don't know where you are this morning in your understanding of Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is your spiritual life. If you are looking for Jesus to give you something else that you may go get, and you have, you're just looking for Jesus to give you something else, you've missed the gospel, and you've missed the point of the Bible. Jesus has come to give himself to you, that you might enjoy who he is. And we understand this with the people that are the best friends in our life. It's not that we want them to give us something. We want to be near them. We want to enjoy their company and their presence. And being around them is, is life-giving to us. It brings us joy. They don't have to come dressed in a certain way. They don't have to give us something. We don't expect anything from them. We just want to be around them. And in somewhat of a similar way, when we come into the presence of Christ Jesus, it is not that we are seeking something that he would give us, but we are receiving from him life. But it is required of us. In verse 29, when they ask him, what should we do to do the works of God? And Jesus is very clear. This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. We must believe in this Jesus. That we must believe in what he has done, what he has been doing, what he was doing then, what he is doing now. And if we do not believe in him, if we harden our hearts against him, similar to the Old Testament generations that no matter what God did in their midst, they were constantly complaining, grumbling, arguing, they would never believe in the Lord. And if that describes you today, you will die in your sins, just like that Old Testament generation did. They died in the desert and they never went into the promised land because they would not believe in what the work of the Lord was. And so Jesus warns them, you must believe. But then it turns much softer and much more open as the Lord calls for them to hope in him, that he is the one that will fulfill and sustain their souls, both now and forever. Nothing compares to the nearness of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and partaking in him day by day. And so the Lord is good to give us an Old Testament analogy to help us understand Jesus in the New Testament. So whereas day by day they would go out and gather bread and partake of it, and it would sustain them that day, it is similar with Jesus Christ, that we go to him personally day by day in prayer and in opening his word, and we seek from Jesus life for our soul. God, help me, I am so empty today. I am so anxious. I am so worn out. I do not have the answers for what I need today. I am so crushed down by temptation, and I am so unworthy, and I am so ungodly. Lord God, 
Give to me today what I need. Be near to me. Forgive my sins. Lift up my soul from the dust. And the Lord does it. And he sustains your soul. And he gives you life one day at a time. Peter says this from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we might escape the corruption of this world. And this is the interesting phrase. He says, by partaking of the divine nature. What an interesting phrase. It does not mean, as the Mormons wrongly teach, that we are somehow becoming gods. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that we have an opportunity to be involved with the divine nature of Christ, to escape, to get beyond just the the material things of this world and the struggles of this world and have some window into heaven, into eternal, spiritual, and divine things that we have no right to have any entrance into. We have no... um, No way of earning it, no way of even getting there unless it is revealed to us and open to us by God. But by Christ, the way is open and the way is available to us. And we are told that uh, we we should come to Christ. We are commanded, we are called by him to be raised up by Christ out of the dust, out of death, out of hunger, out of corruption of the soul and given something of the Son of God. And it's very important to understand, if we miss this, we miss something tremendous. Because people of, of social gospel theology miss this. Because they will teach that the most important thing is for us to all go serve at a soup kitchen and give someone physical bread. And I will say it is important that we do that. And we are commanded to care for and love the poor and meet real physical needs. But if you think that's the end of Christianity and the ministry of Christ, you have missed the gospel. Because we go and do that because of the love of Christ that we have in our hearts, not as the end experience of the love of God in our hearts. And so Jesus came not to feed the masses with real bread and fishes. He came to feed the soul that we might have eternal life, that we might not die. As those who ate manna in the desert, every one of them died and were buried because that manna was not enough to sustain them. But the bread of life that we receive through Jesus Christ is enough to sustain your soul for eternity, that you might have life everlasting in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach these people. Those who partake of Jesus Christ will live forever. Jesus has come down from heaven as the Son of God, not to tell us a way of salvation, but to tell us that he himself is the way of salvation. By daily dependence upon Jesus Christ and his living in the world, your soul will live and will be satisfied. Your hunger and thirst for righteousness will be met one day at a time. May you know this about Christ. I pray that you do. I pray that what I'm saying to you today resonates and that you know Christ is yours, that you have tasted of his sweetness and tasted of his joy and tasted of his hope and of his peace and that you know that your sins are forgiven day by day by day. In John 6, 37, which says this, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Those who come to Christ will not be despised. They will not be cast out. If you know today you are in that low, 
humble place and you know that you have been seeking only the material things of this world and greatly neglecting the salvation of Jesus Christ, come to him today and he will not neglect you. He will not cast you out. You will find him to be gentle and humble of heart. But carrying on, Jesus continues to extend this, uh, this lesson in this teaching. How does he do this? Well, he brings it full circle where we have gone from a physical representation to the spiritual nature of Christ to now a combined spiritual and physical representation of these things. And what are we talking about? We're talking about the Lord's Supper. And that's where we end up in John chapter 6 because he keeps going after what we read this morning after saying that I am the bread of life who comes down and he who comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then it gets very difficult because Jesus is often like this and this is part of his daily dependence thing is I'm not going to tell you everything right now. I'm going to tell you what I am going to tell you right now. And by faith, you're going to believe and then later, you will understand more things. And that's exactly what happens right here. We get down to verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. He says it like three ways. And so everybody is so radically uncomfortable. They're like, what is going on? And the disciple, everybody's confused and looking around. And it says in uh, verse 66, um, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They don't know what's, what is he talking about. What this is just this sounds cannibalistic, and we're not cannibals. Like what what are we talking about here? But his disciples hung on, and said, "We don't know where else to go because you have the words of eternal life. So we're going to believe you, and we're going to hang on here and see what you are talking about. This is my blood, and this is my body. And well, it eventually." is described in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, which is the Lord's Supper, the last time that the Lord Jesus is with them together as a group before he goes to the cross, he takes up bread and he breaks the bread, and this should sound very familiar to you, and says, this is my body, take and eat. I'll read for you from Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. And so what we have here is Christ himself is the real object but a physical or symbolic object is given to help remind and focus our souls on Christ. So let me say that again. Christ himself is the real object. He is the one that we are feeding upon. It is him who gives us spiritual life. We are going to him seeking what our soul needs. 
But the Lord God also knows that we are a fickle people and we quickly forget. And we need physical representations of certain things to remind us of what is going on. And he institutes this, gives a physical symbolic object to remind us of how to focus our souls upon Christ. And so we do not believe that the eating of the bread is actually eating the body of Christ. You've missed the point. Jesus says the bread of life, if you mean that, if you, if you think that, because it is not about eating his physical flesh, but there is this, this difficult-to-grasp uh, concept of where we are going to him and we are seeking spiritual life from him, and it is like going and eating something. And so the Lord's Supper should be taken very seriously. He has said that we should not forget the institution that he has laid down. And that it is a powerful reminder of our daily dependence upon Jesus as the bread of life. It is a powerful, tangible reminder of our salvation in Jesus Christ. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember his body was broken for our sins. And we remember that his blood was poured out for our salvation. And we remember that Christ Jesus is our life. And without him, we have no spiritual life. And it is with us as a continual reminder. And so I'd like to wrap up this morning just to kind of, we've talked about a whole lot this morning, but I'm going to try to bring it together into focus if it has been confusing. God is always merciful to meet the physical needs of his people. In Christ, our spiritual needs are also met. So we go and we pray to the Lord for the things that are pressing in upon us. But in Christ, our spiritual needs, those which are truly more important, are also met. That Jesus himself sustains our weary souls day by day, hour by hour, from his own life. And that this is a radically personal situation. We are going to him. It's similar to the shepherding or the father analogy. It should not surprise us that the many analogies of the Bible that relate to God all seem to come together because they're all describing one person, which is the Lord our God. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd is very personal, and it talks about Jesus going out after the one sheep and turning them away from danger, making sure they're provided for, taking them to a healthy place which is very similar to a father. What does a father do? A good father watches over, protects, guides, cultivates, does all these very personal things. And so it is with this relationship with Jesus Christ. When we go to him day after day after day, it is very personal. When you pray on your knees, when you open up God's word and call for the Holy Spirit to help you understand the scriptures, God will give you what you need. You will see him answer your prayers and you will give glory to God in heaven as you see the personal way in which Jesus cares for and loves you. I encourage you this morning that you may walk in this pattern laid down for us, that you would pray for your daily needs to be met that you would go to Christ in his person and in his word daily for the sustaining of your soul, that you would know his sustaining will not fail and that it will lead all the way to eternal life, that you would look back to your life, especially those of you that have some years on you, that you would look back and see how it is that God has met your needs and not forget what he has done. And encourage the next generation and how the Lord has met your needs and that he will not fail them either and that it will not fail all the way unto eternal life.
And lastly, that you would take seriously the spiritual significance of the Lord's Supper and that you would not neglect the partaking of this which the Lord has instituted for us. That we might remember always that Jesus Christ is the bread of life come down for heaven, come down from heaven for our souls. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for uh, what we've read in your word today. You are the bread of life. And I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would seek after you in this particular way, that we would, if this is not clear to people, that they would continue to seek it, that they might understand who Jesus is and how you work in our lives. But I pray that we would be careful about making, making, taking hold of our day and our time and making time to be in prayer and to be in the scriptures every day, that we might draw near to the banquet table of the word of God, that our souls might be strengthened and given what we need from Christ Jesus for each and every day. I pray for this congregation, Lord, as we go into the new year. May we not look to the things of this world for the sustenance of our life, but may we understand the words of Christ, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your work and our lives. And in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.